We got lucky today. I, I forgot to set my alarm. Oh. And I'm a big wakes up way before his alarm guy anyway. Mm-hmm. Always. Right. Always. I, me sleeping past my alarm, it's happened, I'm not even joking, one time since I have done sports radio. Mm-hmm. That, like, once. Once. Yeah. And the reasons for that will not be discussed. Right. Okay. They not saying anything. <laughs> no, it's, today, did it. Woke up, panic. Oh, no. Busted ass to get in here. <laughs> Almost pulled what I call a Mackie, <laughs> which is showing up 15 minutes late. That's his move. Five. Five at the most. Five to 15. Yeah. When do you think your brain settles into work, though, when you get here late? Oh, yeah. That's a great question. Because I was going to say, like, uh, what, you, 10 o'clock? 10 yeah, 30? I was going to say, you got like 10 minutes of excuses at least before you actually are ready to even think about the work. That's fair. You, That's you've, fair. you've already been preparing your defense the entire drive in. Seeing <laughs> you know? the conversation through yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> like, it's, it's, you're not quite here yet. It's like, when are you present? You know what I'm saying? Uh, by the way, massive win for the Blue Jays last night. Weirdly massive. This team is not that far out of the playoff picture. Ennis did tweet yesterday, though. Did you catch that? That on fan graphs, Blue Jays were now, what, 49% to make the playoffs? Yes, sir. First time they fell under 50% to make the playoffs last season. I'm sure that they jumped back in fractionally with that win. So, But this is kind of where we're at with this team, right? Is that they're kind of a 50-50 shot to make the postseason at this point. That there's a bunch of teams ahead of them that aren't very good. Yankees won yesterday. Best bet hit. It's fine. Just start the week red hot as usual. <laughs> Jobo curse over. Video Broken. curse. You know what, though? You didn't say anything. What do you mean I didn't say anything? Well, the last time I lost on the video bet, you whispered in my ear right before it went, and you said, it's the video. Don't choke or you're oh, going to choke yeah. or something. You Don't get cursed. Yeah, you genuinely put a huge hex on me. I anyway, know I did. You broke this, it, though. You broke it. This is the way that this is going to be. It's going to be a race. They're not going to run away with it. They're probably not going to fall drastically out of it. And some of these it, these games are going to feel important in June and July. Mm-hmm. This is not going to be fall baseball or whatever people used to say. Hey, guess what, Toronto? You got your wish. You got the age-old wish of, I just want fall baseball that matters. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. You will very, very, very likely get it. Huge start from Kikuchi. Just a massive showing exactly what they needed from Barrios to start before where you, you actually go deep into a ball game. You b- get a bunch of strikeouts. You're able to keep your team completely in it so that they can have a moment like they had last night where Ernie Clement drives one in. And good for a big earn. Gets that, you know, little blooper base hit. Absolutely love to see that one. Good win for the Blue Jays. Don't know how sustainable 2 nothing wins are, especially with uh, Ernie Clement and it was... Uh, Espinal that Santiago yeah Espinal. gets the the go ahead the, the game winning run, but the thing that was interesting for me last night, before we get into some hoop stuff because yeah Raptors rumors and uh, just NBA rumors in general we're we're in full heat up season here this mm-hmm. this week we've got Matt Moore coming up in a couple of minutes who's been all over everything Raptors for the last like two weeks and then Mark Stein tomorrow which I'm really excited for. And then, yeah, hopefully it's not a boring draft for the Raptors. Hopefully it's not just, hey, pick number 13. But, yeah, I'll get into Trent and I'll get into the, uh, Matt Moore in a couple minutes. But I mentioned yesterday that I didn't think Schneider 
he wasn't on the hot seat at all. Not, not for me anyways. I understood why people were frustrated. I understand that there's a, always a certain portion of the fan base that wants to blame the manager when things are going poorly. I think that a guy in his full season on the job, while his group still does remain hovering around a playoff spot, it's really difficult for me to point to stuff and say, this is why he should be out. The maturity thing is probably the biggest mark against John Schneider. He's made a couple of, I think, pretty ta- difficult tactical decisions throughout the season, but nothing uh, extremely bad. And I still almost believe to this day, even when he went out for the second mound visit to Manoa, that that was a, oops, I'll look like an idiot to not upset my pitcher, who I really wanted out of the ball. It was game. intentional. It was like, yeah. Mm. Really forgot how many times he'd been out to the mound. That's concerning for a different reason. <laughs> you know, that's... It's a really, really, really short-term memory you've got, if that's the case. No, he went out there to pull Manoa, and then Manoa chased him off, and then he went, oh, whoops, these are the rules. Kind of worked for at least his perception with his his player, who was in a funk and was finally starting to work his way out of it. Anyway, that's just a conspiracy theory I have. Ultimately, my point here is that I don't think John Schneider has done things horrifically this season. I've always thought it was very strange that he was someone that was drawing ire. I completely understand the criticisms of the front office so far. That that to me makes sense when I hear those stuff and people go, hey, what's the deal here? What did they do to this offense? What about some of these trades? Some of the moves that they made, some of the priorities that they took in, and the fact that this club has not looked more mature at times, that they continue to make mistakes the way that they do. Isn't that on them from a player construction? If they've had now multiple managers isn't this now on people other than the management? I go, yeah. But last night in the eighth inning, Schneider made a ballsy decision as his name is all over the news, as his name is all over social media. I shouldn't say the news. Like, I, I'm not reading the news. I'm sorry. I just, all over the news. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't reading it in the news. I was just seeing his name trend every day on social media. And, and guess what? When you click on it, it's not, I love him. <laughs> I love John Schneider. What a great manager. Another brilliant move from Schneider. No, he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's hot seat. He's very hot seat when it comes to social media right now. I don't think that he has Twitter. And I hope he doesn't. Because, yeah, you don't like seeing your name on that sidebar. I don't think it's usually good. It's not usually good if if you see your name on the Twitter, what's happening. What's happening. What's happening, you're getting torched. (laughs) That's what's happening. By thousands of people. He went with Tim Meza instead of Jordan Romano after Eric Swanson was shaky, put runners on, and the game was hanging in the balance. Runners at first and third with one out. And he goes to Tim. He goes to lefty. And and frankly, when I was playing uh, couch manager, I thought this is an overthink. You're trying to think about the 400 hitter because you want to have him face a lefty? And went, uh, maybe just put your best relief pitcher out there since he's hitting 400 anyways. He's hitting 400. I My guess is, is that... It's not going to make the biggest a deal. Gets the double play ball, gets out of it, conversation gone. I think had the Blue Jays lost that game and they had failed to go to Romano, all of a sudden, weirdly, the Schneider conversation would have been chum in the water for all the fans that had been criticizing him. And I think that we would have had to kind of lead today's show with the discussion of, man, maybe this is actually going to be a thing two years in a row. 
that he might not actually be the manager for this ball club. If he's going to make a couple of the wrong decisions when the margins are so thin that maybe they do take another look. And yeah, I said it before. I don't think Mattingly has the answers. I don't think that he's sitting there with an answer key for this team or that if Schneider's gone, these guys are going to get into whip, whip themselves into shape for <laughs> Mattingly as though he's not there. In fact, if, if that was the case, it's almost even weirder given the fact that these two guys seem to be working fairly well hand in hand. Mattingly obviously has a presence here and what now, now the guys respect him because his job title just went up and they're going to be on their third manager in two years. Like no way that makes, that makes no sense, but it does show you how much friction there is right now in blue Jays land that these little mistakes, these little decisions feel gutsy and feel huge. And to me, I'll say this. We've gone and said the Blue Jays are a tough watch right now. The Blue Jays are a tough watch. That's basically the – you want to talk about tweets that have been getting made by a million different people. That's the one, right? Fine. And I've been getting that text from people as just the stock reply. <laughs> it's basically when someone replies, ha-ha, and you go, oh, that's kind of dry. You did that to me last night. Yeah, I do that to you guys every day because you guys are horrible. Nah, I got that too, Joe. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> you guys are my number one and two ha-ha guys. <laughs> you, guys you guys lead the league in ha-has. Anyway, and you always will. So that's basically the, the ha-ha is tough watch right now. As much as they are a tough watch, which is unquestionable, Again, they had two runs last night. Sure, did they win the baseball game? Was it nice? Ernie got it done. There were seven innings of nightmare. Seven innings of just, oh, my God, they're really not going to cash that run. Oh, okay. They got Chapman to third base. There's one out. Surely they'll find a way to disappoint, and they do. And there, here it is, the disappointment. Awful seven innings of offense. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a slog, especially until they can get Brandon Bell back. It's incredible how much they need that guy. And, yeah, he's been an all-star since May. Great. Um, I don't know how much you should be relying on him to be so important to your baseball team. So incredibly important to your baseball team. Although, again, it was Ernie that got the, the game winner last night. And that's mm. could have been his bat as the lefty bat. Guy replacing Brandon Bell. Scored the second one, too. At least... In all of the pain of watching this, the Jays are just going to be very much in it, and all these games are going to feel that important. That's my only spin. That's my only positive spin for everybody here. You get to watch meaningful baseball games for months. Every one of these things is going to matter immensely, and I kind of like that in a sport where you're not supposed to have real takes as someone who loves to have takes, you know, who loves to have an opinion on a game and maybe is selfish given that I like to be, you know, give a little reaction every single day. And baseball is the sport where you have to be patient and wait for large samples before you can say anything about anybody. But all of a sudden it's just like, nah, every game is going to be really important from here on out. They are in a legitimate race already and it's late June. Anyways, uh, before we get to, our guest, before we get to Matt Moore of the Action Network, who is the guy that reported the other day that a few executives around the NBA had expressed frustration with dealing from the Raptors. And, and we're going to get into that report. We're going to discuss kind of what that means. But Gary Trent, he opts in, which honestly, it made sense. It was really hard for me to see Gary Trent walking away or getting some kind of a deal 
that a team was going to say, what, we're going to pay you $20 million a year over a three to four. It, it just there, there didn't seem like there was anything out there. It's the first year of the salary cap, the new salary cap, which is pretty much a hard cap in the NBA. A little disappointing for people like me who hate salary caps and think that at least the NBA had a pretty damn good model of paying into luxury tax. Some teams in the NBA, though, were spending so much on the luxury tax, like the Golden State Warriors, that it almost forced the league's hand to go, okay, well, we've got to try and correct this to a certain degree, right? And you probably would have seen it in Phoenix, too. Mm. Boston as well. Yeah, Yeah, Boston for sure, but Golden State and Phoenix, where you start to get into those repeater taxes, where you have multiple paid guys, it's what makes the Raptors, again, very interesting is – They've been a team that has often not been uh, an upper-tier luxury tax team. They don't really like to do the tax. That's been pretty clear. Yeah. But they're heading into this offseason where a bunch of guys want a bunch of money, and you have to wonder how it's going to impact the Fred Van Vliet signing. Gary Trent Jr. now is almost $19 million against the books. Jakob Pertl wants $20-plus million. And in a weird way, which is kind of stupid, that them hoping to re-sign Jakob Pertl more than Fred Van Vliet. Like, if you're going to allocate that kind of money, I know they traded the first-round pick. It looks horrific if he walks away. But if you're going to tell me, hey, which of these two players would you rather have, Fred Van Vliet or Jakob Pertl? I would go, well, I would like Fred Van Vliet. Yeah. He's the better of the two players. So what are we doing here? If you can only allocate to one of them, allocate to the better guy. Trade someone else. Find someone who can take Gary Trent Jr.'s money and worry about that later after you get the signings done. But I I do think that it was a bit of a reminder that money around here is going to start to tighten up potentially. Right? I've said it all along. The stupidest thing about that last year's deadline was that they knew they weren't going to be able to pay all of their guys. And that part of this was with the whole quote-unquote run-it-back thing is that they were actually going to have to thin out their team. They're not going to be able to dump Otto Porter Jr. Grange made that very clear in his piece. Mm -hmm. I think that an executive saying he's a layup away from being out four to six weeks (laughs) was a pretty good indication of the way Otto Porter Jr. is valued around the NBA. Mm -hmm. And I know the Raptors have no success when it comes to mid-level exception guys, and I know that... Yeah, Otto Porter Jr. probably wasn't their big hopes and dreams, but it was hilarious to me last offseason that that was the big move. And people went, he shoots threes, the Raptors need threes. And I was like, has no one paid attention to how many games this guy played a year for his entire career? He's a Band-Aid. He was sick in Golden State. A (laughs) Band-Aid. He has walked around every stop getting hurt. And the Raptors rolled the dice on him, and he was supposed to fix some of their shooting woes. They were not a deep basketball team. They did not have chemistry. And now it really does look like they're going to run it back, but with one less guy. And that guy might be Fred Van Vliet. So your position here is that you don't want to move anybody. You feel like you're somewhere near the Miami Heat, which is the other part of the report, which is honestly, that's, that's actually the scariest part of all of this, is that the Raptors would look at the Miami Heat and say, we're not that far off of who you are. And you go, okay, that's, that's kind of true, right? Last year, there were moments during the season where you would have matched those two teams up and gone, hey, they're pretty close to one another. Mm-hmm. Do I think that the Raptors have a closer and someone who's proven and who's gone to two finals as the best player like Jimmy Butler, even if one's a bubble and one had good breaks? No. So I do think that's a bit delusional. But do I think that the Raptors could get solid performances out of players like 
Miami got from the Caleb Martins of the world. Gabe Vincents. The Gabe Vincents, exactly. Do I think that Siakam can play as well in a postseason as Bam Adebayo did? Yeah, I do. I don't think that they're that far removed from Miami from a talent standpoint. Mm -hmm. But Miami has done this. Jimmy Butler matters. He's being considered now as a top 10 guy in the NBA from the way that he played in the postseason, even though our boy Armin does like to point out that, yeah, the numbers in the first series were incredible. From that point forward, it was a pretty steep decline. Yeah. That they also did get an incredible amount of breaks and that they're still Miami. It, it, they, they play in South Florida. They're the number one team being rumored to poach Damian Lillard. Yeah. You know why? Because it's Florida. Toronto's not in the rumors for Damian Lillard. They're in the rumors for the three pick. Yeah. Because Damian Lillard would not want to come here. So I that's the part that actually worries me more than anything is that the Raptors are deluding themselves into actually believing that they are some kind of a contender when they just went 500 a season before and now it looks like they're going to be down a player. And how the hell do you get there if Fred Van Vliet walks away? And Gary Trent Jr., I don't know how much he complicates this because I would think that you could get off this money pretty easily since he's on a one-year deal and that the best thing moving forward for Gary Trent and for the Toronto Raptors was a scenario like this because you go into the season, you hope he recoups some of his value, you hope that he plays really well for the Toronto Raptors, has a good shooting season, doesn't try to overextend himself at times offensively like he does where he just becomes a complete black hole and does not pass, and he can just normalize himself to being a really good basketball player with some good pedigree. And then at the deadline, he's an automatic flip, right? Yeah. And you actually get an asset back for Gary Trent Jr. But it's just, I, I, there's no squinting for me that shows the Toronto Raptors as the Miami Heat of next year where they make it to an NBA Finals. I'm sorry. I just, I, I do not see a scenario where the Raptors go into this offseason and turn their team into, hey, don't worry, they're going to beat the Celtics or they're going to beat the Bucks. A Bucks team, which... Might have Giannis this time around, fully healthy, not at whatever percentage Giannis he was. Giannis with a back. Giannis with a back. And is as good as a team that has actually made it to a conference finals and two NBA finals and saying that they're really close to that despite, sorry, what are your playoff successes over that same stretch? Lost in the play-in game. Uh-huh. You lost in a play-in game. And lost in the first round. Yeah, and you lost, yeah, and a Boston Celtics defeat that mm-hmm. was, yeah, pretty humbling, I would say, for everyone all around, even though it was a bubble. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, and then not making the playoffs. I missed the playoffs. All right, if you say so. Anyways, let's chat with Matt Moore about it. Very, very excited to talk to my next guest. I think he's been as plugged in on the Raptors as just about anybody over the last few days. And that is to say, uh, yeah, it might not be so hot for Raptors fans. Matt Moore, NBA writer and podcast host for the Action Network. Good morning, man. How are we doing? Doing well, man. How are you? Uh, I'm okay, except, you know, I watched all the Raptors games last year, and... I'm not particularly thrilled with the idea of seeing that exact team again for another full 82-game season. Like, now I'm one of those guys who just really wants a 70-game schedule all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense because, you know, that team, I think, was just really exhausted and tired of itself. And, and you know, honestly, it looks like outside of Fred Van Vliet, it's going to be much of the same roster, at least as far as what I can see right now on the board. Um, you know, I think it's it's tough just because trying to get – take the pieces from a championship team and trying to get appropriate value for them when they weren't the main pieces like, you know, Kawhi Leonard or even, you know, Kyle Lowry. Although I think both Fred Van Vliet 
and Pascal Siakam were great in that playoff run. I think it's hard to find really good value. And so, and the market's, you know, complicated right now on a number of fronts. So I think it's tough to try and shake it up appropriately, but I'm definitely with you that we need fewer games to allow teams to be able to play to their best potential. So uh, let's let's start with that though, like the market, because I just saw you tweeted a little while ago about, uh, I think you said the market, uh, I don't want to misquote you, was bone dry? Was that the terminology that you used? Yeah, for Gary Trent Jr. at least. Uh, I oh, just okay. don't think that part, part of this is that there's, the new CBA is causing a lot of reticence on a number of these fronts. What I've heard for some of the players is big money, short years. That's why I've heard for Fred Van Vliet. Um, so I think that there's like a limited amount that they can get. I heard this morning that GTJ was probable to go ahead and opt in just because there wasn't a lot out there for him at the moment. And next year may be different with a lot of teams clearing cap space or, you know, something else happens or there's a trade and he really – takes off like there's a number of opportunities i think there that could be taken next year but i do think that right now you know you look at even in what's a pretty limited free agent market there just isn't a lot of of teams that are that are looking for long-term big money and not for a player like like gary Trent jr so the decision for him to opt in wasn't surprising um it doesn't necessarily mean that like no one values him it just means that he might have a better opportunity later on but the, I think for a lot of players, there's a handful. I think they're getting a, a number of a lot of attention. Kyle Kuzma's one of those guys. Fred Van Vliet's one of those guys. But I think for a lot of players in the free agency market, they're probably going to wind up with less than they were expecting or less than guys in recent years have gotten because of the changes in the CBA and, and what's out there right now. Yeah, that makes sense given how penalizing the second apron now appears to be. And you could see, yeah, the reluctance of teams to give long-term money to guys that are, yeah, not exactly uh, massive needle movers, which I think we could classify a guy like Gary Trent as, and the number of teams that are out there. But I'm curious mostly about the trade market right now because there, there are big names out there, right, that are just like Zion's name continues to be thrown around, not exactly sure what his value is, Damian Lillard. There at least seems to be some kind of a path where Portland would potentially discuss moving off of him. And then you've got just like a few other guys around the league where maybe it feels like if the right offer came along. And we're a year removed from the Rudy Gobert trade, right? That seemed to throw everything into this really weird space where no one could pr- get a proper deal done because people were trying to work off the valuation from this trade. And so they seem to be really, really overextending what they were going to try to get for certain players. And the Raptors seem to be the fulcrum for this at last year's NBA trade deadline. We spent, man, I did probably, I don't even want to know how many hours doing fake Raptors trades and Raptors discussions only to find out that the only move they were going to make was actually adding Jakob Pertl for a future first-round pick. But the big takeaway from Asai Ujiri at that media conference, which was probably his worst showing, I think, as the Raptors president, was that the deals that Toronto had on the table would be there for them should they want them a year later. Do you think that that was a miscalculation on his part? Like, does the trade market for the Raptors players seem to be as, yeah, um, seem to be, I want to say, lucrative as it was when we first were at the NBA trade deadline last year? No, honestly, I think that he's he was right about that. I don't think that the offers have changed. I just don't think that they've improved, right? I think that a lot of what was on the table then is on the table now. And, you know, they may improve by the deadline. You know, maybe that's the hope is that you do well like into a team that gets more urgent, more, for lack of a better term, desperate. Maybe that's the way that they find uh, a deal that works for them. 
you know, I got aggregated it all across um, the internet, which is fine for a comment that was made by uh, other executives talking about how frustrated they were with dealing with Toronto. And I need to be clear, like, I don't think it's a bad thing from Toronto. I don't think it's a good or bad thing. It's just how Toronto does business. But the thing I just continue to hear is everyone calls me and like, let's try and get a deal done. And then like the offers are just like, well, no, that's, that's ridiculous. No, like the, the asking price for Pascal Siakam for OG and OB in particular is so sky high that there's a real reticence to even seriously engage in those conversations. And there's, I was told by two executives that they're like, I just, I really don't honestly want to even engage sometimes. Like, another was like, look, we have to, there's only 29 teams in the league. They're still going to get calls. We got nobody like you have who you have to work with. And those are the only people that you can trade with. But I think that there's a strong feeling that the offers simply have never come down. And if they're going to continue to be as sky high for the return. And a lot of this gets into how Toronto views its players. And this is common around the league. How Toronto views its players is way higher than what the market does. And you can either cave to what the market expects because you want to get a deal done and you're under any sort of urgency, or you can say, no, like, these are the assets that we have to work with. We need to hit on these trades, so we're going to continue to hold the line. And until somebody comes through, we're not going to make those deals. And as of yet, nobody in my – what I've ascertained is nobody's come close to making what an offer that would fulfill what Toronto's asking for for those players. Which is pretty nuts if you take – any of the reports around what potentially New Orleans was discussing for OG last year or a team like the Grizzlies, some of the like amount of pick capital that was being tossed around for a player like that. And, and I, I get what you're saying. It's also funny when you get aggregated because you want your content, you want your report to go and be seen by a lot of different people. But then the way that that ends up happening is if you have a lot of people that are angry, and I would imagine that, yeah, Raptors fans, uh, from my own personal experience, they can be the well, some of the toughest critics when it comes to social media. But, yeah, like, of course you want to be a difficult team to negotiate with. Obviously, you don't want to be a pushover and make a bad deal. But, yeah, there does seem to be a bit of a stubbornness with the Raptors right now where they're valuing these players extremely high. The team isn't really showing a ton of results. Their own, again, Masai Ujiri has talked about them having a lack of chemistry. They've got issues that go beyond even the roster. Like, there's real money concerns right now when we're talking about, hey, how are they even going to get this done financially? So when we're looking at this, does the problem sort of solve itself if Fred Van Vliet won't return from a money standpoint and also the way that they seemingly would have to potentially pick more of a seller's direction? Like, without Fred Van Vliet, it's just it's really hard to imagine how Toronto can cobble together a competitive backcourt. Yeah, I mean, unless they either find uh, a development project that just hits some one of those, you know, black swan events where it's like, oh, you hit on an undrafted player or, uh, you know, a pick in their range. I know they've been active and looking to move up for various guys. If you're able to find that right option, maybe there's a free agent. And in what, again, is kind of a limited market. Maybe there's an opportunity for you to make a small sign-and-trade move that gets you within range. Like, Messiah Jury has, has earned, I think, some benefit of the doubt in terms of knowing how to navigate things. But I would be pretty surprised at this point, given what I've heard, if Fred Van Vliet were to return, given that he's got pretty significant offers. Like he's very, very desired on the market um, because teams are looking for those kind of point guards. And this is not the market to be shopping for point guard in. Um, not only because of the demand for the guys that are available, um, but because of the lack of depth at it. Like Gabe Vincent is going to be one of the better names 
on the market. And I like Gabe Vincent, thought he was really good in the playoffs. But when that's like the, hey, we can go get Gabe Vincent, well, okay, now there's some trouble there. Um, so I think ultimately, like the odds, I would say, of Toronto being as good as last year are low, uh, especially considering, I don't know, that like when you start to talk about being stale, being a problem, I don't know that improves. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it's just like you stay together and you got through your problems and things were different year over year. But I, I do have a hard time kind of envisioning a scenario where Toronto is meaningfully better than last year if they just decide to keep everybody and run it back. Yeah, I think that's the general consensus amongst people who observe the team closely and of the fan base too, which is why this is so frustrating. So if you don't think that Toronto's the favorite to land Fred Van Vliet, who do you think is? And I guess there's a two-part question here. It's tricky to do, but do you see a scenario where Toronto would at least be able to sign and trade the player? Yeah, I think there's options uh, for a sign and trade. I think Philadelphia is a team that would look at Fred Van Vliet in a sign and trade scenario. Um, depending on what happens with James Harden. And I've heard in some cases, not like that's outside of, even if they retain Harden, they would look for that possibility with multi-team deals involving Tobias Harris. Uh, so that's a possibility. Uh, I think Houston is the other name that I can say. I've, I've heard strongly linked to Van Vliet on a short year's big money deal. That's what Houston has been offering around the various veteran free agents. They want veterans. They want adults in the room. And also, they want to try and like compete a little bit right now. They're not really interested in continuing the rebuild, so they're looking for, you know, not win now in terms of the championship, but compete for a playoff spot. Players now, and Fred VanVleet, I think, is if James Harden elects to return to Philadelphia, if they've been used basically as a leveraging tool against the Sixers, which there's some thought that they may have been, uh, then I think that that Houston's going to at least be an option for him to make a lot of money in a short amount of years, which is been a thing that everyone's kind of known he was looking for. Um, I think when you look at the Clippers as well, they're always going to be a team that's linked to him if he wants to pursue championships. That's going to be an option at less money. Uh, so there's all these kind of teams I think that are in the market for Van Vliet, uh, and they all seem prepared to either provide a better chance of winning a championship or provide a big money situation for a player of his stature. So the, the big money one is interesting, especially on a short-term deal, because like that has been his MO, right? His whole, um, his whole branding is bet on yourself, bet on yourself, and that's been something that he's done throughout his career. But now he's 29 years old, and he's got a real track record of injuries throughout his career. Do you think that's as attractive to him right now as it once was, the short-term idea thing? Like if you're Toronto, is the optimistic spin that maybe you're the team that could offer him the most term and money overall? Yes, I think that there's, there's a possibility for that, for sure. Uh, I think that finding a team that's going to offer him a four-year deal is going to be difficult. I think finding a team that's going to want him you know, on three years with a player option is going to be difficult. So those kind of things, those, those deals are not as out there as um, maybe I would expect in those situations. And so in the absence of one of those, now all it takes is obviously is one team, right? Like one team is like, no, like we believe that FEB can be the guy. And you can say, like, who would do that? Well, look back through the history of free agency classes and the kind of decisions that have been made. And there's always uh, a number of teams that are like, wow, they, they really just went in on that guy. And there may be that for Fred Van Vliet. But I would say that there's definitely a possibility that if the Raptors want to run it back and are willing to put up, you know, long term guaranteed money, there may be a way to offer him more fully guaranteed if he doesn't want to have to worry about what happens when he's 31 or 32. 
Yeah. And uh, they do have a history, too, of overpaying their own guys and giving them that extra term. It's kind of been a Toronto way, right? That's what they ended up doing with Kyle Lowry. And granted, he didn't have the same kind of market as it appears that uh, Fred Van Vliet has right now. The last time that he came up with free agents or as a free agent with Toronto and they re-signed him. I, I just, yeah, it's so hard for me to envision a scenario where the team would want to run it back. But that wouldn't include some kind of an overpay for Fred. And then trying to figure out one of the other guys to make the money work, given, yeah, what they have at the point guard position, which, if he leaves, is nothing. <laughs> it's, they don't have a single point guard unless they're going to talk themselves into that's what Scotty Barnes is. So if Fred does resign, or if that was to happen, or actually, I guess this could be in either one. When you mentioned the Gary Trent market, do you think that he does remain a Toronto Raptor going into next year? Like, what's the most likely outcome for him like, from this point forward now that he has opted in? I think from where I'm at now, I think it's probably that he gets included in a deal at the deadline, right? Like a team um, elects to go in for Siakam or Anobi and meets the Raptors' high price. And part of that is taking on the Gary Trent money as kind of a, you know, look, you'll you'll take back Trent, you'll clear that cap salary. That'll help you with either re- re-signing Siakam or, or whatever other decision that you make, right? So like, there's all these kind of like permutations where you can get to – where Trent finds another team and maybe it works out there and maybe they re-sign him. There's kind of those, those kind of situations. Like I, I would say that I'd be surprised that Trent is still in Toronto by the end of the year, but I would have said that last year. So it's entirely possible. I, I think a lot of it depends on how he plays. Like he's going to have to rebuild, I think, some of the value. And to be honest, there's also kind of the idea of what he wants is there, there's kind of this belief that, he wants a bigger role. And I will say, it, this has been surprising me, and not, this is not just Trent. There's just been a real reluctance in from talking to people about taking on players that are looking for, for bigger roles. There's just like been a skepticism of that, that if you're not one of those guys and you want to try and be one of those guys, there's been a reluctance towards that. So maybe he plays and just fits into the role and plays great defense, and the Raptors you know, maybe overperform a little bit to start the year. And even if the front office is like, okay, now we can probably get value – and they go the they swing back the other way. Um, maybe that's an opportunity, but that to me is the biggest thing here. Is, is if he's going to improve, I think his standing. I think it's going to have to be um, showing that he's capable of what it is that there's a belief that he wants to be. And if if not, then showing that he's willing to be you know a role player and do the things that is asked of him. I can tell you as someone who has watched him a lot over the last couple of seasons that I would. I would, you know, you're a betting man. You work for the Action Network. I would say that the odds would be heavily stacked on the the first one <laughs> that he doesn't buy into necessarily being the team player, and that he continues to be a guy who believes he can provide more and wants to have more. So, how much of this, like, where where the Raptors fit in? Because again, I mentioned how at the deadline last year they were a team that, yeah, felt like they were the fulcrum of the deadline, like that they were determining what other teams were going to do, and the OG and OBP seemed to be, yeah, the at least the the biggest part of the deadline until the Kevin Durant stuff started to, to happen and then actually transpired but now is this market being held up to a degree like do people are teams more curious to see sort of like what's going to happen with Damian Lillard what's going to happen with Zion Williamson like are those two guys going to determine basically what happens here with the rest of the NBA over the, over the coming week I mean I think there's a number of players that are dominoes I think Dame is the biggest one the number three pick is the biggest one and whether or not, uh, you know, I've got a piece going up on action about how they may be down to Zion Williams and maybe their last out. 
so to speak. And if that deal doesn't get done, then there is a wide expectation of that things could get messy in Portland very quickly. So then Dane becomes the, the next big one. Then it's Kyrie Irving. That's the next big question mark. Then it's Chris Paul. Um, and then there's a number of other ones. When Siakam was kind of mentioned, when he was involved in the, in the t- trade talks with Portland, I think there was a lot of interest around the league from like, oh, hey, like that's a guy that a lot of teams would want. Uh, I think Atlanta was also a team that was really interested in that idea as well. But again, when the asking price comes up, then it's like, okay, this isn't going to work. Um, but as long as the Raptors continue to kind of be – I think that's the difference is they were a fulcrum at last year's deadline, and everyone kind of walked away with, there's no way I feel like I can get a deal done with them. And they, that's kind of held. That hasn't changed. And so until that kind of shifts, I don't think that there's going to be the, that uh, Toronto will be a fulcrum. And, you know, really, honestly, you don't want to be. You don't want to be a team where the, the sharks are circling. You don't want to be a team where your leverage is compromised. They've held their position. They've held their leverage, and they continue to hold it. And that might be the best thing long-term for establishing what their standards are for a trade. Yeah, until they potentially lose Fred VanVleet for nothing, and then they're on the clock with OG Ananobi the following year as a team who, yeah, has a bunch of pretty heavy contracts on their books. But yeah, no, there is a scenario where this works out for them. It's just hard to see it right now, and it certainly doesn't feel like that gambit has worked out at least at this point. So with the number three pick, the thing I keep coming back to is, will Portland just hold on to it until draft night? Do they have to see who goes to before that gets moved? Because I would just imagine that if Scoot does fall, which seems less and less likely by the day, but if he ends up there at three, that that pick is going to have just an immense amount of value compared to what it would be if it was Brandon Miller. Yeah, I mean, I think I would look at it the other way, which is if Charlotte, and there's still, there's been more, I heard again this morning that they're leaning towards Miller, that that's been kind of reaffirmed. I'm still very skeptical of it. The last I heard over the weekend was that they hadn't made a decision. And it's just very rare for teams in that kind of a spot to be like, yep, nope, let's just go ahead and decide. We're going to take this guy when it's this close uh, with 48 hours to go. Like you literally, like it sounds crazy maybe to be like, you don't know 48 hours out. No, like take all the time that you need to make that decision talk it out as much as possible. You're not, <laughs> everyone else is on your clock. You're not on, on, on the clock here. You know when you're going to pick, you know when you're going to need to know. So you can figure that out. Um, that's not going to shift. It's not going to increase. Not time's not going to run out on you. If Charlotte takes Scoot Henderson, it's a disaster situation for Portland. There's a little bit of interest, I think, in Amon Thompson. I actually think Toronto is a team that uh, some folks believe. This is not from inside Toronto, but some folks around the league believe that they would have interest in. Um, but in large part, the value of that pick just plummets. New Orleans is no longer interested if Scoot Henderson is off the board. Um, I think that a number of teams are no longer interested if Scoot Henderson is no longer on the board. So that just limits what Portland is going to be able to do significantly. And if that comes to it, they'll probably just take Miller. They might, or whoever is highest on their board out of the remaining group. And if that's the case, then they'll just be like, we're taking this guy and Dame's not going to leave because Dame loves us. and We love Dame. And it's going to be fine. And that seems like a big leap of faith that the Miami Heat are actively betting against. So that's going to be the question that, that that comes next is, is Portland right that Dame will just be like, okay, I really wish you'd done, some, done something, but I'm not going anywhere. That's the hope that Portland has to rest on if Scoot Henderson is not there at three. Do you think that New Orleans would move Zion for something that wasn't the three pick this offseason? Like, or sorry, I, I should say for the Scoot pick. No, 
I think it's only for the scoop pick that he's on the table. Uh-huh. That's the only thing I think that would, that would move them. I don't think there's another situation, even with as bad as things have been. And Will Giller, he's great at the Athletic. He wrote about this today on the Athletic about like they, they were already putting out like, well, they're they're probably not going to trade him. Most likely, they're not going to trade Zion Williamson even for the three. I would say that, that those talks will continue as long as Scoot Henderson is available. But uh, if Scoot Henderson is not available, then I don't I don't think there's any situation in which Zion uh, is not a Pelican in the fall. Even with the injuries, even with the weight, even with the off-court stuff, there's just not going to be a player, I think, that excites the Pelicans' front office to get engaged the way that Scoot Henderson does. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. I was even thinking about it today with his value. It's just like he's a terrifying idea and so many, for so many different reasons now, like the ones that you just outlined. And yet, yeah, I just can't imagine a fan base that wouldn't be over the moon if all of a sudden they didn't add Zion, you know? Like I, I just have a tough time not having seeing a fan base that doesn't find a way to get excited about the prospect of him showing up and playing for their team and potentially being reinvigorated. So last one I have for you is just simply about – parody right because the our, our michael grange had the report um or the discussion the, the article about how toronto can view themselves as a version of the miami heat like they don't see themselves as that far off and that there's a lot of parody in the nba right now and I, I wonder for you as a guy who also does the locked on nuggets podcast and this whole thing that just happened during the playoff run where everybody realized how good denver was <laughs> despite the the slide at the end of the season if this is the way that we should be looking at the NBA. Like, all due respect to the Heat and their run, um, they did run into a injured Giannis Antetokounmpo who hurt his back immediately in the series. But the bigger part is just that series with Denver was not close at all. That should have been a sweep. It very easily could have been a sweep. There was a lot of non-competitive moments in the series. Like, I, I guess, is the NBA taking Denver seriously enough when it comes to this whole idea of like there's more parity in the NBA than there ever has been before because it just doesn't seem like that team is going away anytime soon yeah I would say that it's not just Denver I think Denver's definitely have that quality like Denver's starting five is locked in Nicole Yoga isn't going anywhere Jamal Murray's not going anywhere maybe they get hurt right because everyone thought the Bucks weren't going anywhere after 2021 and they haven't been back to the finals maybe that there are injuries it takes a lot to get there but I, I, I wrote about this on Action Network with the Heat and it applies to the Raptors, too. They were like a parlay, a long-shot parlay where the last leg didn't hit. Like, you got a major upset versus the Bucks when Giannis got hurt and you shot 45% from three. And then you got the Knicks, who really, honestly, were not a very good playoff team in the second round. And then you got the Celtics, and Caleb Martin turns into Steph Curry or LeBron James for, you know, six games of that series. And you shoot 43%, and the Celtics absolutely implode on themselves like all of those events had to happen just for you to get to the doorstep and then finally when it came time for one more unlikely event it just didn't come through and the better team definitively and decisively won so it's kind of the same deal i think with toronto where you know what has to go right well you're gonna have to figure out your point guard situation and you're gonna need the team to not have the same chemistry issues as last year and you're gonna have to hope that that uh, a new head coach seamlessly gets everything to work better and it all clicks and everything functions much better. And you're going to have to have internal development from the bench guys who've been rough the last couple of years. And you're going to have to pull off upsets in the playoffs. Like even if all those things happen, you're going to have to pull off upsets. So there's all these sequences that have to occur in order for you to get there. And that's, I think what people are missing is like the Celtics are still going to be good. The bucks are still going to be good. Other teams will still be good or better. I think the warriors will be better next year. 
there's all these teams that you have to go through. So it's not just a matter of, you know, can you find this canyon for you to slide into? It's can you make it all the way to the end? Because otherwise you're just kind of banking on unlikely events going your way. That's such a good analogy. I'm so jealous that you made it. You know, this is like I, I I'm hurt in a small way that I didn't get the last leg par- or the the missing of the last leg of the parlay. There's nothing that beats that. And yeah, I think that's the way that you need to be looking at it if you're the Raptors and almost showing. I hope someone forwards that email or sorry that article uh, to someone in the Raptors front office because yeah, that is exactly the same sentiment. It's like when your buddy sends you a bet slip of that exact thing and they go, "Look what I could have won." You're like, "Yeah, I, I guess." I guess you almost kind of won that in some way. Thank you for sharing this. Let's all move on with our day. Uh, hey, Matt, again, you've been on top of everything. I suggest that everybody make sure that they go and follow you at Hardwood Paroxysm, uh, at HP Basketball on Twitter, because, yeah, Matt has been uh, as good as anybody when it comes to tapping into, especially what's been going on with the Raptors. Thanks for the time today, man. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Take care. Sportsnet 590, the fan. All right, Botano, best bet in a couple seconds here. Early baseball today. You know, my guys have their mics, so sometimes when they say stuff in my ear, like producers, which is correct by you to do that. I, I think you say it on air, but yeah, the Blue Jays play at noon today. Um, Jays Talk Plus with Blake Murphy will set you up. He's got some great guests today. And then, uh, yeah. Enjoy your post-game talk all here on the fan. So a couple things just quickly off of Matt, right? I understand why people go, you're off, your front office is supposed to be frustrating to deal with. Your front office is supposed to be frustrating to deal with. You don't want the prices not to be sky high. Yeah, okay. I don't want to push back on his reporting when he knows more than I do. But right now, Damian Lillard might be out there. Mark Stein is reporting that they're shopping Paul George. There's been some talk about where James Harden is going to still end up landing. Zion Williamson's name is very much in the rumor mill. And I'm starting to wonder if he just does end up in Portland now based on, yeah, what's transpired the last 24 hours. I just don't understand how the same deals could be on the same table for the Raptors, for some of these guys. Like, how could New Orleans be offering the same packages for OG when they might be moving in on scoot like that, just that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't line up. So that's automatically one of the teams off the table that was sitting there for OG. Right. Yeah. Okay. So how is there going to be an offer for OG or Pascal from Portland? If their primary concerns are either moving Dame and potentially moving him to Miami, if that ends up becoming a trade or, working with new Orleans to ship that number three pick. Right. And and let's not get it twisted. If Zion Williamson is on the market for that number three pick and you're Portland, you are absolutely trying to get Zion before you're trying to get Pascal Siakam or OG and Adobe. That's a no brainer. I don't care about the injuries. The upside of Zion is way higher than either of those other two guys with Damian Lillard. If you're deciding to push all in and actually take a shot and really revitalize Portland, that's the, the play that all of a sudden makes you a contender. Yeah. So how could it be the same way? And so when you go, hey, you're frustrated to deal with, you're frustrated to deal with, that's all fine. That's all well and good until you're stuck. Like, if the Raptors don't sign and trade Fred Van Vliet and they do lose him, like Matt kind of insinuated, they're not the favorites to keep him anymore. If you sign and trade him, you have to get better than what the Clippers were offering you. 
which doesn't seem like too hard to accomplish given that it wasn't a whole heck of a lot. But at least it was something. You want to bring assets back. You do not want to lose Fred Van Vliet for nothing. You can't. Yeah. And it's similar with OG Ananobu. He's walking in a free agency who might want more. It's similar with Gary Trent Jr., who we don't know exactly what his value is going to be this year. And then, yeah, okay, you can probably keep running it back with Pascal Siakam. But was there a point in time where you could have potentially cashed in and really set yourself up for a rebuild? Yeah, I would have to imagine that that at some point was really there for them. So, yeah, it's good to be difficult to deal with, and it's okay to hold on to your principles. But if deals start to pass you by, and then you're forced to pivot again in the future, and those same deals aren't there, and those prices have come down, I'm sorry, you're open to criticism. Anyways, I'll do more of this tomorrow with Mark Stein, because, yeah, to me, the Raptors are the story right now in the city, even more so than the Blue Jays, who... Yes, hopefully they can get the series win. I actually kind of do feel like they're going to. Anyways, it's time for Best Bets, brought to you by Botano Sportsbook, the 2022 Global Sports Betting Operator of the Year. They actually just won another award, a huge award. Um, I, I keep telling everybody it's the best book that I've ever used. Um, it's the only book that I use right now, and I've always been somebody who used to use multiple books, but I just I haven't had the need to, given that there's early payouts on this book, that there's so many options on this book, that the app is so clean. There's just a million different reasons why I use it. And so, yeah, reach out anytime if you're interested in playing on Botano. But my best bet yesterday hits a little sweaty because I think it was 3 nothing in the second. What, Austin? Okay, he's just like, you put your fingers over the... You put your fingers over the board. I start to get sweaty. Anyways, I'm going with my Arizona Diamondbacks. My guy, Zach Gallon today. First five is plus 100 right now in Botano. So... They're facing a Milwaukee team that really struggles against right-handed pitching, the 23rd in all of baseball and OPS. And yeah, the Diamondbacks are a top five offense. They got Zach Allen on the mound. I think the Julio Tehran thing is a bit of uh, smoke and mirrors. So I, I would expect that they get to them early in this baseball game and that they, they take it in the first five. So Arizona Diamondbacks, first five, that is your Botano best bet. Head over to the podcast. You know what all good means, Mackie? It means good to go. He just jab-stepped you. Yeah, he did. He stutter. He stutter. <laughs> tough day for me. Yeah. Uh, tough day <laughs> for me. I'm in a bullying mood today. I'm, I bullied you guys the second I got in to work today. <laughs> What's the difference between today and every other day? Wow. Yeah, I, I give you guys everything. <laughs> and you say that to me? I think do with a lot of rope, and we do hang ourselves usually. That is fair. I, I am a giver. I give so much attention, energy. What don't I provide to you guys? I, you know, putting food on your plate. I didn't even say anything. This is all yeah. Austin. Yeah, but you know, you should have said, you should have stood yeah, up right why away. Why are you standing up, Joe? Exactly. You should have stood up right away and been like, JD gives. He gives to us. We, we eat. JD we gives. Eat. Thank you. Yeah. No, it's now. Gives it's, us therapist appointments. Wow. Expensive right. uh, yeah, no. psychiatrists. I'll remember this. I'll remember this. I will remember this. Yeah. Okay. You made it personal. Uh, okay. So podcast only portion, please subscribe to the podcast. All right. Leave five stars. And if you can share it, it means a lot to me when you do that, especially if you send it out to other friends and yeah, whatever. It's just like podcast downloads, podcast subscriptions that that's really helping. And yeah, it's an indicator and a way for me to end up doing more of these things. So if you like this portion, I'm asking you today to do those things, please. And thank you. Um, Mark Stein tomorrow, Mark Stein on the podcast tomorrow. And then hopefully post draft, we're going to have my boy, Bobby Marks on. I might get Blake to come in studio too, and sit down and hang with Bobby and I, if he can behave himself. <laughs> if Blake can behave himself. Yeah. Ah, Blake. Yeah. Blake has to behave. 
I don't even know what I mean by that. I know you don't. So just let me do it. <laughs> okay, so I got to talk about the submarine people, right? Yes, you Last do. night I went to bed, they had 30 hours of oxygen. Mm-hmm. Now it's estimated to be at a day. Um, and there was an update this morning that they've, sa- they've heard sounds. They yeah. heard a banging sound. So they've relocated the search to a different part of the Atlantic. Uh-huh. Um, like, what's your take on this whole thing? Like, this thing is crazy. It came yeah. down Sunday morning. They lost contact with the vessel. And then 6 p.m. that day, they announced the search operation. Yeah, so for those of you that don't know, which are those of you that are living under a rock, a submarine full of billionaires <laughs> decided to go down and check out the Titanic and they're like eccentric billionaires, you know? They're kind of cool ones. I really hope they get these guys out of here. Um, but these eccentric billionaires were basically told, hey, you can't use this submarine. I think I read that the guy they fired was telling them that it can only go to like 1,300 feet below the ocean. And then they're going 3,000 feet. Seems like that's a huge margin for They're error. going more than 3,000. The Titanic's at 12,000. Really? Okay, well then I misread. It, it actually might be closer to 13,000. It's a lot deeper than 3,000. Holy crap. And they're crap. going all the way down there. Yeah, okay. Well, and maybe they lost, I misread they, that then. And it was two and a half hours down to the bottom. They lost contact at one and a half hours. There's zero amount of money that you could have paid me to get into that submarine. Like zero. Have you guys seen pictures of it? Yeah, yeah no. No amount of money. It yeah. looks like it was put together by... Camping World. <laughs> a, yeah, a high school <laughs> science fair team. What yeah. th- this? It looks like a university project for real. You know when you'd go to like a university campus? Did you guys I don't University of Waterloo, man? They pump that thing out in 2004, I'd imagine. Yeah, engineering, <laughs> maybe. You, you would walk around a university campus. Absolutely. They would show you the different parts, and they would go, "This is our engineering lab." At Carleton, <laughs> we had a nose, a, a, some electronic nose. Look, we can sniff out different things. And I went, "I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I'm not getting into this program." <laughs> bah, like moving on. That submarine could have been at any university campus in Canada, and I wouldn't have batted an eye. I would have looked at that thing and gone, that's exactly what I expect you guys to be making here, to be honest. Uh, And I wouldn't get in that either. But these billionaires, imagine having billions of dollars, and you need the adrenaline high so bad that you're willing to get into this tiny little submarine. For $250,000, by the way. Yeah. That's how much Ocean Gate charges for expeditions. So anyways, the, the whole premise of this thing is nuts. I do obviously hope that they find these guys, but I did watch a video last night where the search and rescue team, one of the heads of it, was basically explaining what makes this so hard. And I went, yeah, they're lost in the ocean. I don't think that it's, it's like, it's like going through all these things where he's like, well, the thing is white and it's hard to see. And we lost communication. It's hard to communicate underwater. I went, yeah, they're, they're a tiny little tube lost in the ocean. I, I, I don't know if we need a, three-hour explanation from you as to all the details as to why these guys would be hard to find. But yeah, pretty clearly, any brainiac like us can figure that the best hope of finding these guys is through sonar and them banging mm-hmm. on the side, yep. and then people hear the banging, and they find them. So that's actually Which is what optimistic. we hope that's happened this morning. Yeah. yeah. Um, the terrifying one is that they might not be down in the deeps. They could just be on the surface. And they're bolted in. Yeah, they're bolted from the outside, so they can't even open that's, it from the inside. That's the part that is just, yeah, I, I can't even I, I can't even think about what these guys are going through in there. Because, yeah, yeah, if you have any feeling of claustrophobia, and I just said that, you just, I saw Austin's reaction. And Austin, same. What you just did, that motion that your body just made is exactly me too. When I was revealed that part of the information, I went, oh, my God. So, yeah, I, I get that we're all sort of 
like looking at this thing being like, how could you go down there? How could you do this? But yeah, I think that this is one of the, could be the one of the most horrifying deaths ever. Yeah. Like one of the guys in there with his son. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's dark, man. It's real dark. It yeah. is scary. And so, yeah, I hope that they find these guys, but boy, yeah, I, I don't think that they're going to be doing, I, I would have to think that one of the guys has been to the South pole like a million times and has been to space Been mm-hmm. to space. Yeah. 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 My advice. He's done with that. I think. Rather go to space than the. I think if they find him, he's going to be like, you know what I like? My couch. (laughs) I like just sitting (laughs) on security team outside. You need the adrenaline rush. Buy a sports team, guys. Like become a booster (laughs) in a Division One program of some sort. These guys are different breeds. Have you never met? Okay, like. Like, did I, you see the video of Drew Rosen? I was fighting a shark yesterday. It's like, what is going on with rich okay. people? Or they don't live. I, I got, I got, I got conspiracy tinfoil hat time with that. I think that, video? I think that shark was sedated. I think it was, it was either sedated or dead. It was like fl- it kept flipping over. I would side. hope so. You shouldn't be fighting no, a shark in it, water. No, I, I know, but he's grabbing the tail and. Well, every time a fish starts to flip up on its belly, you know, it's like, okay, this thing's yeah, not man. right. Like, What's it doing? It's like bobbing there and he's grabbing it. They're like, don't do it, Drew. Don't do it, Drew. It's asleep. <laughs> it's like, yeah, something happened to that shark. Yes. That shark is messed up. It I, is not moving. I, my guess is it was sedated. I. This is what's even, this is the one thing though, where we go money can't buy happiness. Right. They, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, why are these guys doing this? They have all the money in the world. Cause that's it. They've done all the things. Yeah. This guy, one of the guys literally went to space. I have to send these people my email. They can, they can help any other. I know. I agree. I agree. I agree. I I can do some of the things, you know? I agree. You, I, you know, I agree. (laughs) If you don't want to do some of the things I can do them. Yeah. All right. Um, Anyway, I, I'm terrified for these guys and yeah. Yeah. Just following up on what you said about the 3000 meter thing. So in 2020, it had to be completely rebuilt Yeah. after there was cyclic fatigue like imagine i'm poor At three thousand meters you guys are way poorer than me mm-hmm. imagine being told you got to pay money even a dollar to go into this thing hey will you go into this little submarine for a dollar no <laughs> what if it just stays on the shore no what if we don't bolt you in no like how many warning signs did they need to get for this thing and still these guys with billions of dollars the ability to just like shape world economies. We're like, yeah. now nah, we're getting in here. We're we're going. We're going down in the deeps. Yeah, it was rebuilt to go to the bottom of the ocean, past where the Titanic is, or like at that level. So that is worth noting. It was rebuilt with carbon fiber, titanium, designed to go to thirteen thousand feet. Well, that end, that engineer getting at sued. Twelve thousand five hundred. Titanic's okay. So that's where we're at. Twelve thousand five hundred. That's where the Titanic is at. I got to say this too. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm very into history. Mm-hmm. I definitely see the appeal of wanting to see the, the Titanic. Titanic. Yeah, but getting in that tube to go down thirteen thousand feet to see what you could see Just on a video. Couch. I don't know. You're not really into that. <laughs> I no. too like history, but. Yeah, no. to see the Titanic, it's like, yeah, it was a luxury awesome. cruise ship that crashed off the coast of Boston in 1916. I mean... The coast of Boston? The coast of Boston, sorry. Mushed my words there. Fine. No, there's, I just, there's plenty I, of other things, things you're going to risk it for. It just, exactly. Like, yeah, it's, it's a strange one. It's a strange one to do it. Like, you get out of there and they go, what was it like? And you're like, it looks exactly like you saw it's a big in the videos. Ship. Exactly yeah. like what they saw on Titanic, which came out in 1996. That James Cameron movie was pretty yeah, accurate. It was, it was pretty bang on, actually. They kind of <laughs> drilled imagine? it. It looked the exact same. Can you imagine that's the anyway, first thing? Anyway, all right, what's next? 
All right, so yesterday on The Ringer, Adrian Wojnarowski said that this year he will not be tipping picks on Twitter for the NBA draft. Yes, hallelujah. So he said, I'm not doing picks this year, but the pick-by-pick, pick, I don't think it has value anymore for me or for ESPN. Agree. So, it definitely, buddy, it never had value for ESPN, so yeah. congrats. It was never an ESPN thing. The only thing I will say is that Woj basically took over ESPN because of that. I, I don't know, Jobo, I think he, straight up you're too young to remember this because this was like a decade ago. But when Woj was at Yahoo, mm -hmm. I remember it was Woj versus ESPN. And one of the things was that they had the draft and he was just spoiling it. And you'd go on Twitter and be able to see all the picks. And he made a power play against them, basically shipped out a bunch of their insiders, a bunch of their basketball people because he had so much power in the league mm -hmm. that he could. Yeah, was able to affect a live product. Yeah. That's huge, man. Live events are still where it's at in sports media. Live events are, yeah, they're the thing. Yeah. And Woj could atom bomb one, <laughs> you know? <laughs> he could just immediately destroy one of their live events and turn it into watch Woj on Twitter. Don't worry, you'll get the picks ahead of ESPN. Mm -hmm. but it definitely changed the draft and it ruined the draft and it sucks knowing who's going to be the pick before watching it on television. Obviously it's way better if we're all watching it together and reacting to it. Yeah. It's the same principle that I talk about with succession and why live sports are the best is that we all are taking in the same information at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's a communal viewing experience. We're Human getting reaction. We're getting less and less of them. It's cool to see the actual pick, the stuns, the moves, not just on a social media screen. I'm actually a little surprised that it took this long. Mm. Yeah, in previous years, I've just deleted Twitter during the drafts. The problem is, Woj is basically saying, I, I, I like this too. He's basically saying, I don't need to play this game anymore because I'm Woj. I am the man who knocks. Mm -hmm. I am the one who knocks. Sure, Shams. Yeah, Shams, exactly. He's like, go out there and spoil the picks. I'm a good guy. All right, child. But I don't, yeah, like I don't need this anymore. This is beneath me, which I kind of like. Mm. You think he's still, he's going to be doing trades. Oh, yeah. He Didn't said he... that he'd be focusing a lot more on the trades and trying to be active in the broadcast. He wants to be that's, more that's, fully see, engaged that's, in that's the That's what show, I'm saying. He's like, he I'm still the authority. Yeah. All right? Don't get it twisted. I'm the authority. Yeah. I'm just not going to play the little games of who's going 37th overall. <laughs> you know? I'm is, not... is he the most powerful insider in sports right now, you think? Like, more so than Schefter, mm. more so than Jeff Passan. Fabrizio. More so than, uh, oh, Fabrizio. Great shout out, Joe. He, JD has no idea who that no. is. Anyways, Elliot Friedman, like, is he the most powerful guy right now? You think? Yeah, it's it, in North American sports. He and Schefter, I Schefter, think, are right? most yeah. synonymous. Yeah, Schefter is true. Yeah, those are the two guys that I think have the highest trust level. The thing is, is that all those guys are really good. But if you're talking about like power, no, like to stop, like what you're saying with Woj is 100 percent accurate. Like he he doesn't want to hurt the live product anymore. That's why but he's this not is doing a, that. This is an unfair one too, though, because it's just like I think. I don't want to get into this. These kind of set me up to be in trouble here, but I think that, <laughs> okay, sorry. No, but I do think that we'll there are, I do think that there are certain guys like it's harder in hockey to have as much power as Woj in the NBA. It's just a completely different. The media game. environment's completely yeah, different. Man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a good point. That's a great point. And who else did you list? Fabrizio? Fabrizio Romano. A He's a soccer guy. guy. Yeah, I know who he is. Jill, you're suspended. Oh, nice. No, I absolutely know who he is. I'm just saying I actually don't like soccer to me is not a newsbreakery sport because it's all over so many different leagues. And so the big things are like transfers. And to me, it's like 
don't you normally get the heads up of something like that happening for quite some time and then they develop over it? Like there's, it's, it's just like a, con- I guess maybe no, it's cause it's kind of a constant yeah, state of rumors with, in soccer, yeah, right? It's yeah, the same no, trades there's in rumor, these leagues, right? Yeah. It's pretty yeah. much the same as the trades in the NBA, yeah. free agent signings. Like it's, yeah. the new cycle is pretty similar. Yeah. Fabrizio is just like the top dog. I guess there's just, realm. to me, there's so much player movement in soccer that it's almost like, Mm-hmm. That it's not a shock with this stuff happening. It's that's mostly fair. like, oh yeah, okay, oh wow, the big club got the good player. Like, yeah, all right, and he was rumored to be going to like one or two spots. Got For like it. six months, and then yeah, exactly. eventually that, went to the spot. <laughs> that's all I mean. I, I just, I don't know if there's a power brokering in the soccer world is what I'm saying because there's like so much money and power behind the actual moves. Mm-hmm. Like, does an insider like Woj had real power was affecting the live events of the products? That's what yeah. I'm saying. That's fair. Like, and soccer Schefter, doesn't have drafts and stuff either. Schefter's working with agents can put out very powerful agendas out there that can change the way people do business. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to say about Fabrizio is like, is he changing any way that guys do business in soccer? I'm, I'm genuinely asking. No, and They're, it's a great point. He yeah. isn't, right? Because like no. the Schefter thing with Tom Brady is such a good point. Like he yeah. reported that he retired. We're like, oh, he's retired. Yeah, no, yeah. no doubt no, Schefter there, got this there wrong. There is conspiracies right? with Fabrizio and Chelsea. I will Ooh, say that. Oh, I, I like will this. say that. I'm a big fan of this. I will say there's conspiracies with Fabrizio Romano and Chelsea. I'm not, obviously, I don't know the ins and outs of it. It's just like he's put out a lot of news about Chelsea and transfer rumors and stuff like that. And then they actually happen. And people are like, do you like, you were really pushing this agenda no, so for just, months and months. He's just connected a little bit more to Chelsea. That's what that, I'm that, getting. that's exactly. And then that starts the conspiracies, gets the ball rolling, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah. Uh, got it. Yeah. All right. Uh, that bored me. So anyways, what's next? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Just give me something else. Cause that was fest. you were like, Oh yeah. Oh, oh that does not bore me. <laughs> Joe was like, yeah, there's to think about Jesse. I was like, oh, a really long Chelsea. Yeah, too, much. too much, too much Chelsea. Joe, Joe, you got, asked, Joe you got too horny for soccer. Was, you asked me if he was like, ah, oh, people are wondering if he's connected to Chelsea. I'm like, yeah, yeah, people hate Chelsea. And this guy probably has the sources <laughs> of Chelsea. Me. I was just, yeah, but I don't think he's changing the way they do business at Chelsea. But that's the whole conspiracy is that he is. That's, All right. that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm fact-checking this. So I, Megan Markle. I'm talking to McKee about this later today, who's a huge Chelsea right, guy. I'm going to be like, yo, do you think Fabrizio affects Chelsea? And actually, I'm going to just send him a text. There was, there was smoke about the Mahalo Mudra tr- transfer all right, and all on. that kind of stuff. Hold I'm on. just saying. Start reading the Megan, Megan Markle, Markle story for the people, and I am going to send McKee a text and ask so him So Megan Markle, of- who had a show on Spotify called Archetypes, uh, the show has now ended after doing one season, 12 episodes, and she's been accused of like dubbing her own episodes where a guest will come on an audio engineer will record the podcast with her. And then it'll splice her questions and comments in between that guests answers. Uh, and now the show obviously has ended. Like I said, only did 12 episodes. Um, what was your first reaction to hearing that, that she was apparently dubbing her own episodes near the end? Well, how do you get a 12 episode season? Where do we get this deal? Who do we talk to? How well, do you're we not, a $20 million you, you Spotify gotta, deal? <laughs> marry a prince, Austin. Yeah, yeah, you have to be Meghan Markle. <laughs> you got to marry a prince, I think, is a place where you would want to start. What up, Belgium? Okay. There's so many things to this. One is, I will say this. You're right. The idea that someone paid Meghan Markle millions of dollars for a podcast on Spotify mm-hmm. when she's... Where would you guys place her right now in terms of most annoying people on the planet? Oh, top, top five, top five. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Like she is her and Harry as a duo. Like if you combine them as a team, oh, they're Shaq and Kobe of the annoying world. <laughs> where you're like, it's that video where you see them, you know, always dominating, standing there on the sideline, <laughs> getting ready for the game in their warmups. That's those two. It's insane. Like there was a video clip of Harry from a couple of weeks ago, month ago. I don't even know where he 
he's talking about how his brother went to school with him and said, <laughs> pretend like you don't know me. And he's like, and oh, it was traumatizing. So, so your brother did what every older sibling does Has in ever school, done, which is <laughs> pretends not to know their dorkier little sibling. <laughs> Poor Harry. The the best one was recently too. They got chased. I know way too much about them because it just it's so through the news. I follow zero of them. I I I I've seen people who bought the book, the Harry book, and I was like, if you bought that book. There is 0% chance we could be friends. And don't even say it's like, oh, because I thought it was funny. He's like, no, 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 no. But I saw the thing from I, also a couple months ago, have no idea, where they reportedly got chased by the paparazzi yeah. through New York. And they tried to invoke memories of Diana. Oh, was that could have been Diana 2.0. And then the cops looked into it and they were like, yeah, nothing happened. And the driver for them was like, yeah, nothing. <laughs> there was no chase. Nothing happened. They completely concocted this. They're so hungry for attention. It's nuts. It's so wild that anybody would pay attention to either of these two people. I'm, I, I have to think, I have to believe. Whoever signed this deal, this podcast deal may have altered podcast history in, in a very negative way. Who wants this? Who is clamoring for more Meghan Markle stories? Meghan Markle interviewing people. You is this is the world you want to live in? This is what you want? Let, I don't care if you hate this podcast. That's fine. I, I understand why people wouldn't want to listen to me. Why would one human being on earth want to listen to Meghan Markle at this point? Who is dying for this? Who wants this content? And clearly there's enough people because she was going to get paid millions of dollars. Okay. The, the part of this that I just find so funny is the idea of just people showing up to do this podcast and Jobo conducting the interviews or Austin conducting the <laughs> interviews. And then... Yeah, us just splicing in my voice and going, what what question did you ask? Imagine being the guest and showing up for that. How do they do that? This, I think this actually just shows you, too, how bad most celebrity podcasts are. Because I'll see stuff and go, wow, that's a huge name on a podcast. But then you realize that these, these people aren't people. Mm -hmm. They're not they humans. Don't care, right? They're not humans yeah. like us. They don't think about a podcast as an intimate, cool conversation yeah. that you can have with someone that's different and basically... They just look at it as a money-making operation. Like they go, question, right, it's question answer, answers, audio, and you boom. can put the thing in, and I'll come sit down in the studio and record, and we treat it like television. They, they don't understand the medium. So if you're listening to celebrity podcasts, boy, I kinda, I'm a little judgy about that. There's some that I think are good. There's a couple that people love. I'm not going to plug them because I want you to listen to this one. <laughs> this one is the one you should be listening to. Don't you one. ever leave me, all right? I think they really misread how leaving the royal family would go, and uh, they've actually made... Andrew more sympathetic now, which is just an insane thing. The, Who's the Andrew? king? The new king. What? What? So who's the king of England? Are you serious right now? Uh, this might have to be edited out too. This is not it. Just stop. Stop talking. <laughs> stop interrupting me with things you don't know. Did you say? Did you say Andrew? Yeah, I was talking about the one that is not allowed at the events. It's king Charles. Charles, Charles, Charles is the III. king. Stop it. Stop doing this. You need to stop. You have a problem. You just keep talking. You'll say stuff like you'll Mackie stat this Austin stat Andrew of all. Of, what do we No, Don't try to don't No. No one wants to hear your crazy explanation for the weird synapse that you got the name Andrew in your brain. My point here is very clear. If you don't know the name, settle down and Google the name, settle down and Google. I don't, 
you're right. They obviously had a little bit of moment in the sun where everyone went, oh, they saw the Oprah interview and they're like, what sympathetic creatures? Oh, the poor, fa- these poor two, they've got to escape. If if he wants to escape being a royal, if he wants to really, it's South Park nailed it. All you need to do is watch South Park, okay? They had the best episode. It's an all-time classic. They absolutely drilled it. If this guy cared so much about just being a normal person and making it his own way, guess what? He could do it. Leave all the protections, leave all the money that you get. And just go and, yeah, live off your wife's success because she's actually more successful than you. So, as, And she continues to be more uh, given that, yeah, she's getting millions of dollars of deals with Spotify. Either way, Shout this would be suits. my dream. This would be my dream is to not even show up for work. And then I just sit down and you guys tell me to read whatever questions that you guys asked. We just write a script for you. Yeah. <laughs> you would hate that. I what are you in. talking about? I roll in and I get millions of dollars and then, well, I need the millions of dollars. Yeah, I'm not the millions of dollars part is the worst questions part I've ever heard. Yeah, what are we I'm, doing here? Yeah, but if I'm getting the millions of dollars, I'm getting true. the scam. I don't care. Do you know how good it would feel to be a, a true blue scam artist that actually scammed people out of tens of millions of dollars where you're genuinely set for life and nobody can do anything about it? It's not like an actual crime. You just went, yeah, whatever. I skirted the rules and I want the money. And they go, damn, we have to give this guy the money. And then you tell people and you go, yeah, I scammed Spotify for blank amount of millions of dollars. <laughs> they go, wow, that's pretty good. That's pretty cool. He, she already scammed Netflix too. <laughs> this isn't even the first victim because I'm pretty sure there was a show on Netflix and everyone was like, what the hell is this? And it is, isn't there? There's like a show about the two of them that they made for Netflix for millions and millions of dollars. Find out how much they got for that. They just like, they're selling the same story. $81 million deal with the streaming service. $81 million. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, again, hey, the theme of today is money doesn't buy happiness. Actually, if you convert it to American, it's $103 million. There you go. $103 yeah. million. Money does not buy you happiness. The royal pair's These last These people are in shambles. They Netflix. just want to be at the top of the pile. They so badly want to be sympathetic figures again. They got that little bit of taste through the Oprah thing. They got their moment in the sun. And now they're just kind of cashing in on being a train wreck that people can't look away from. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much what this is. Yeah. And they want to try to change that narrative. They're desperate to try to change that with all these different things they're doing, but they can't help themselves because they're... Yeah. Podcast, unfiltered, and all no, this kind of stuff. They're out of their minds. Um, <laughs> anyways, one more and then let's go. Let's go. I got to run. Gen Z? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so Gen Z... So- a company called Visert, which is a the commissioned by leaders in real-time graphics and live production solutions for content creators is what they're branded as. Uh, they polled 600 adults, young adults, on their watching of live sports. And 66% of the young adults between 18 and 26 said that they prefer to watch sports live compared to 74% of millennials and 88% of Gen X. Mm-hmm. So significantly lower. Uh as well as 67% of Gen Z's prefer to watch sports on their phones whilst on the go. Mm-hmm. What's your first reaction to stats like that, considering you have a couple of Gen Zers in the room with you pretty much every day? Um, well, yeah, Austin, you're now 27, so you're just outside this range? Yes, sir. Either mm-hmm. way, Austin likes going to games. You go to some. I'm you- very against these stats. I think they're ridiculous. Well, I will say that, yeah, 600 sports fans, and it's like, how do they determine the sports fans? They're like, do you like sports? And people go, yeah. There's yeah. some, I will say this. There are some sports that if you told me, hey, Bunk, you live in the States and you're a season ticket holder to a football team, or would you just rather be on your couch every week watching Sunday Ticket? True. I would be like, yeah, I'd rather watch Sunday Ticket than go to the odd couple of games. True. It'd be different with college football. If I was in college, I'd go to every single one. Right. 
Um, I understand wanting to spend the odd night at home versus being at a game every single time. Like mm-hmm. there's a reason beyond just busyness that some people like sell tickets. It's not like boomers and millennials haven't had season tickets to things and then still sold them out of, yeah, I don't really want to go to this game. Right. It's not, it's not insane. Right. But it's still, it's still like you're saying that 66% want to watch sports live. Mm-hmm. Prefer to watch sports live over like online on their phones, stuff like that. Streaming services. So then how is it 74% of millennials and 88% of Gen X? Said that they would prefer to watch sports live over watching it like on a screen. Yeah. So you're saying still Gen X uh, wants to, like the way that it's written out here that you put it for me is that 66% of Gen Z still want to watch sports live. Yeah. So it's, but it's le- it's significantly yeah. less than other gener- like previous generations. Yeah. I don't know. I just think that that's actually like pretty, yeah, it's significantly less, but I would expect mm-hmm. it to be less generation over generation. True. Okay. And so that's what I was wondering about. Cause yeah, like, the, like you've, the... you've grown up with more virtual stuff. You've mm-hmm. grown up with more of doing it this way than any other way, especially yeah. given like pandemic where nobody could go outside and people caught a little bit more comfortable with watching stuff on television rather than going to live events. True. My age group, it seems with the pandemic, they got more desperate to get back outside that people, my age, they were like, Oh crap. We only got so many more years left of being kind of youngish mm-hmm. and we've got some money. Let's go spend it and do stuff, travel concerts, whatever bars, whatever. Right. Your generation almost seemed to go the other way where it seems this. And again, anecdotal evidence, but some of it is passed on through these things where you guys went through the pandemic and you went, this is what's comfortable. This is what we like. We were in a formative period, especially, man, if you think about it, those formative years of your life, like 15, 16, 17 years old, you know, early 20s, you guys weren't doing university, going out to the bars, getting to experience this stuff. You're also not making any money yet. Mm-hmm. Because you're Gen Z, so who in the workforce, unless you're a TikTok star, you know, I'm just kidding. But, like, yeah, you can be 27 years old, 26 years old. You can be making cash. But the vast majority of Gen Zers are probably still not drawing in a fairly significant salary. They're probably not deeply embedded in the yeah. workforce yet. Just getting started. Yeah, you're getting started in your salary. So it makes more sense that you would want to be inside, too, and that you would go, yeah, I don't mind spending time on my phone. And it's kind of a cop-out, too, for a bunch of you guys to be like, yeah, we don't like to work because mental health and because this and that. You guys got a lot Anxiety. of excuses. But really, it's just because you're broke. <laughs> you're broke. You're broke. You can't, you can't afford to do things. Hey, so you're not doing excuse. the things. And if we could give you a bunch of money and go, Hey, you want to go do this stuff? You guys probably check it out and go, this is actually pretty cool. <laughs> Turns out that playing, give me a name. Uh, oh, Budweiser soundstage. No, I was going to say a video game. I know about those things. Uh, hold on. Ah, I've got one. What's the one with the robots? The little robots. The one with the robots? There's a lot of video games with robots, JD. <laughs> no, there's one with like tiny little robots that are like kind of cute and they're always around. <laughs> That's there's a, like little there's squares. Fallout. Fallout, Fallout is oh, an yeah. RPG. Yeah. yeah. No, whatever. It's, the Fallout's like after like a nuke hits the world. No. Okay. Well, either way, then there you go. Instead of Harry playing, Potter, let's go with Harry Potter. Instead of playing Harry Potter, or Fallout, Fallen Order, Jedi, woo, or Jedi, whatever. <laughs> that getting outside and doing some stuff is actually yeah. pretty sweet too. Video games are fun. Yeah. Yeah. Video games are cool. It's fine. In moderation. No, I think, well, all things in moderation. I think if you go to a million concerts, you're nuts too. It's like, yo, take a break. Go do something else. Um, But yeah, I think that there's a reason why everybody else tells you guys to touch grass. The only thing (laughs) is, is like before, before me, like you don't think boomers didn't want millennials to 
You don't think they thought millennials were spending too much time on their phones. You don't think they thought millennials were spending too much time watching TV. You don't think sure. that millennials were spending too much time also playing video games. I think that there is a there's a difference between you guys and us, but there was a difference between that generation too. Yeah. Just the only thing that I think that's a little scary is that now we just seem to be heading so much towards these like virtual worlds yeah. and these virtual silos that there's just different causes of concern that I yeah. think are a little bit more extreme than when people were afraid of how the radio was going to change the home, right? Well, and your friends don't live in your province anymore. Yeah, yeah, they live yeah, in Arkansas or South exactly, Carolina, exactly. right? Like your community isn't local anymore. Yeah, and you so start to see different. You start to see things like the new iPhone thing, the strap to your head. Yeah, go, yeah okay, Vision yeah. Pro. Yeah, they want you to be completely plugged in at all times. You can understand some of the fears and some of the yeah the. Like, I don't think that millennials would want necessarily that product and that they're clamoring for something like that. Whereas True. I think your generation is going to be way more comfortable with strapping on those headsets and going, yeah, let's give this a shot. That makes sense. So these numbers don't surprise you at all then. It's no, kind of just really. expected. Just think, yeah, it's like, yeah, kind of expected. Generation I'm, if progression. Anything, I'm more surprised that 66% still want to go watch the sports live. So that's cool. It's Interesting. Fine. All right. Anyways, let's wrap this sucker up. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave five stars. Hit me up if you want to play on Batan, all the best book in Ontario. We'll see you tomorrow with Mark Stein.